Trusty only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars. LawPay. Mindfulness and work balance have become catchphrases in the legal profession. But do the actions of firm managers truly support wellness at work? I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Jolene Park, a founder of the corporate wellness company Healthy Discoveries, about how employers can actively support having a more healthy workplace. Welcome to the show, Jolene. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Obviously, for wellness, a lot of it is our individual actions that we take for ourselves, but how can employers encourage fitness, both in terms of physical fitness and mental health fitness? Well, what I've found working in this space over the years is is when the management team themselves have a personal buy-in to start, often more than the professional buy-in. But if they have personally found benefit in their own life with some physical fitness, some meditation or, you know, emotional regulation around their own well-being, they tend to be a little bit more interested in bringing it to the work site. So it always helps um, when the management team is on board to help to offer them that out on a regular basis. and, And they can even model that as to what they're doing in their life. And the firm starts to see that. Everyone working there, you know, it can be a bit contagious. When you see other people having really good results of then wanting to take some steps to have those same results. I know a lot of firms have a gym in their building, which is free to use. But you hear sometimes from managers, it's like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to be working out in gym clothes in front of the people I work with. But really, could this be a wonderful thing? If you see your boss at the gym, then you feel okay going as well. Absolutely. Um, Because again, if we're setting up kind of that do as I say, not as I do type mentality, that can make it more difficult. And I always like to pull teams and individuals back to why are we doing this? Uh, You know, when I work in a coaching capacity, I find a lot of high achieving professionals often start, they're used to marking boxes and going through their to-do list. And, you know, it just being another to-do list to go to the gym, get the workout in, you know, do the air quote kind of self-care practice. And I like to pull people back from that and say, but what's the effect you get from this? Why are you doing this? Do you actually feel better? And sometimes people that really stops them in their tracks and they're like, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to be doing these things of, you know, moving our body and doing some different lifestyle things because it actually helps us feel better and helps to regulate the nervous system, which can often, for a lot of high achieving professionals, get stuck on the on state. It's that hypervigilant, always wanting to perform and that perfectionistic state. And being able to kind of regulate and downregulate out of that. And that's why we do, you know, fitness or some of the well-being stuff, because it actually starts to change the neuroplasticity in our physiology and help us feel better. It's not about jumping through a hoop, getting a gold star, or checking a box. And so, you know, connecting that of why we're doing what we're doing. It seems like a lot of times businesses will have a wellness program and they start with someone doing a draw, figuring out what his or her health issues might be. And they're like, oh, I'm not in good shape. I need to go to the gym or these terrible things are going to happen. What's a good way for wellness programs to be meaningful so that employees, like you said, do it for themselves, not because they're 
scared, you know, that they're going to die if they don't go to the gym or start taking better care of themselves, but, you know, to help them to be supportive and find what works for them and what makes them feel good and what works best for them in terms of their fitness path. Right. So experience is huge. And we know that fear, force, and facts don't change human behavior. But what does is if we have an actual experience that we know feels good, and then we want to repeat that experience. And so what I encourage individuals to do, whether at a corporate level or or in a coaching experience, is to come back to our senses and to really notice our senses. And managers can set this up in the actual physical environment, but individuals attorneys and and employees can do it as well. So the five senses, the first being the visual sense, how can we set up the environment visually that's soothing and that feels good? And it can be as simple as, you know, something that you might put on your desk, like a nice plant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then how you actually use that is we know that when we're anxious and frantic, our eyes tend to dart around our environment. And if you can just hold a soft gaze on a soothing object, like a picture of your family or the plant that's on your desk throughout, you know, different times of the workday, that lets your eyes have kind of that still focus and it starts to calm the body. So using visual, you know, how we set up our space, um, you know, in the environment, using sound, um, soft music. And it doesn't always work in, you know, in the whole office space, but maybe in individual offices, things like touch, just feeling your feet on the ground can be really calming. And so bringing in some of these, you know, things around like, what can we see? What do we hear? What do we taste that can be soothing touch and smell and setting up that environment as, you know, the managers can, again, model that and talk about it and start to teach that, that can help regulate the nervous system. Okay. And I've always been curious. I think for younger lawyers, there's a sense that, well, I don't want my boss to see me at the gym because I, I need to be working. Do you think that maybe for employees, we think that we'll be more pushback for taking the time to take care of ourselves if it's meditation or going to the gym for 30 minutes or going out for a walk. We think that that will be received poorly when in fact, no, your managers are perfectly fine if you're taking time out for yourself every day. Yeah. You know, I think it really depends on the manager. Mm. Um, I find, you know, a lot of managers are very supportive of that. Um, We're often surprised how supportive, you know, some may not be, but again, the more we push, the more than we need to rest and kind of refuel, replenish and, you know, adding in these simple little practices can make a big difference in how productive we are and how effective we are with our work. Do you see very often if a company has a manager who does push very hard and doesn't seem to have must patience for taking time with wellness? Are there times when that manager's boss might say, you know, you need to rein it in a bit? Do you see that in terms of directing management to be more focused on wellness and what employees need to take for themselves? I have seen it. You know, I think there's been a real movement and more of kind of that that focus on taking care of ourselves. And again, environment's crucial. And how kind of the connection within work groups is set up makes a big difference on our well-being. And we know that, we can feel that, you know, so if there's managers that are above other managers that 
are savvy enough to see that and kind of call that out, our environment makes a big difference. And so how we set that up and how we lead others and manage others can really be um, a crucial piece of setting that positive environment. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something that you refer to as gray area drinking. And correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that the term refers to people who perhaps haven't hit what we tend to think of as rock bottom with alcohol consumption, but they are concerned about the amount they drink and how it affects them. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yes. All right. Okay. And we'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com podcast to sign up and get your first three months free. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Warren, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Jolene Park about what companies can do to actively support having a more healthy workplace. So, Jolene, you did a very interesting TED Talk about the issue of gray area drinking. Would you say if someone is worried that he or she might be drinking too much, is there a good chance that he or she probably is if it's causing them anxiety that they might be? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. If you're worried and have been silently questioning and there's been angst around it, there's more than likely something there. And there's there's been a real big movement lately around kind of distinguishing, you know, rising up with high achieving professionals that function well and don't have the air quote kind of rock bottom, you know, and, and I coach and work one-on-one with many of these professionals um, and a handful of my clientele is also attorneys. And mm-hmm. when we do the intro call, they'll say, I function well. And I say, I know, I hear that all the time. Um, and, you know, there isn't a DUI. There isn't an external measurement, you know, as proof that drinking is not working in their life. But internally, they've been silently struggling for often years of not wanting to drink as much as they do, but continuing to drink, trying to not drink as much, but then being disappointed, that self-loathing, kind of that back and forth. And again, nothing, you know, they haven't lost a job um, where we've kind of set up that end stage stereotype of you only have a problem if there's this crash and burn scenario. And what I'm finding in this corporate wellness realm is a lot of people are struggling in this gray area where they don't drink every now and again, like every couple of weeks or a month, they might have a glass of champagne at a wedding. And they're also not at an end stage level where they may need a treatment center. But Mm there's somewhere between that. And so that's where I've been focusing a lot of my well-being and and work the last couple of years. And do you think, perhaps particularly in the legal profession, that it seems like the stress level for many people in America, but certainly middle class people, is pretty high right now? Because for lawyers, it's so much harder to make a living like you used to. There's so much more competition. Clients don't want to pay as much. 
if you represent consumers, they don't have as much disposable income to pay you. So do you feel like this stress drinking is increasing in the legal community? Because it's like all these stresses, you know, I have to have the right house. I have to take my kids on vacation. I have, you know, all, all of it. But yet I hate my job, but I'm scared to death I'm going to lose it. You know, all of those things add up, I would think. I do. I, I think that it's very prevalent in the legal profession. I think it's prevalent across our culture um, in every industry. But I do particularly see it with the legal profession. Um, I've seen it personally. My own kind of social group, I, I'm friends with a lot of people in the legal industry and um, have, have seen that level of drinking, which I used to be part of. And I myself have chosen to stop drinking three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it professionally. People who are coming to me for, as, for coaching, um, many are attorneys and they're coming for the private, um, it's uh, craving brain coaching is what I work with, of um, looking at those cravings around sugar and alcohol and anxiety. And then I see what I'm seeing personally and professionally directly related in the report that came out last summer, the path to lawyer well-being, which I've been very interested in. And um, the data's there that drinking is is very high and escalated in the legal profession. So in your experience in working with or maybe with friends who are attorneys, what works for them with solving their anxiety around gray drinking? You know, it's it's this aspect of learning practical ways to regulate the nervous system. And so this is how my work in corporate wellness has really evolved. And like I said, you know, earlier, we, we hear eat right and exercise. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of the go-to, you know, thing of to be healthy, eat right and exercise. Of course, we want to do that. But it's much bigger than that. And as a Western culture, we are very well fed but we're not well nourished and we're malnourished in a lot of places being relaxation and sleep and our connection with others and, you know, the leisure fun side of things. Cause often people will say, I drink as a way to have fun. I drink as a way to connect with others or to relax. And we just haven't been modeled and taught mm-hmm. other tools to regulate and to relax and to have fun. And drinking has been the go-to thing. And, and we're in a real health crisis with this right now. Um, because again, just, you know, looking around in suburbia, in, you know, it's the mom's groups, it's the book clubs. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about, again, we have this stereotype, but when we're honest and just look right in our own lives, it's prevalent and it's a problem. Right. I think about how many memes you see about parents and kids and alcohol on social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, you know, the um, memes of, you know, to be a mom, I need to drink Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get Mm -hmm. through the day. Um, You know, I need that drink to, to keep, you know, mothering. And it's, um, it's horrifying. Uh, You know, we've glamorized it and made a bit of a joke about it. And we're getting to, you know, a real critical mass with this, that the tide is turning, this paradigm is going to shift. And, and I really believe from a wellness standpoint, not that everyone's going to stop drinking, but I do think we're going to start looking at alcohol kind of the way we've looked at, you know, started looking at cigarettes in the 70s. Really? Um, I do. Um, it, you know, it's not that people don't smoke. But we, our perception of smoking is very different. And there's, you know, seven cancers connected with alcohol. From the CDC perspective, there's no safe limit of alcohol intake. 
And for women, you know, one five ounce glass of wine every day is considered moderate drinking. And I didn't know that when, when I was drinking, you know, I'm teaching wellness and -hmm. enjoyed my red wine, but it was becoming very easy for me. And I've been very public about this, that, you know, how easy it was to say, I'm going to have one glass of wine. And it turned into two, three, four glasses and Mm -hmm. how easy it was to do that on a frequent basis. But that's defined as heavy, risky drinking. Hmm. Hmm. So what can employers do to help employees, particularly I think in the legal profession, oftentimes alcohol is a part of a lot of social settings that involve the workplace. What can they do? I mean, do you think would it be a good idea if law firms really care about wellness not to serve alcohol at events or would that just be odd? (laughs) You know, that's, it's an interesting question. I don't know that that's, you know, the, the quick and fast answer, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, again, to take alcohol away. Um, I, uh, certainly not what I'm advocating. I don't think that's what will ultimately happen. But what I do see happening is that there's, it's kind of like it's hip to be alcohol-free. And there's a movement, especially online, where many people, and again, many high-achieving professionals, and, and I work with them one-on-one. You know, my client base have, they have some really amazing job titles behind them, and they're choosing to really rethink how they're drinking. And here's what I find with social situations, especially kind of the networking, the conference bar scene, where it's, you know, there's a lot of drinking. You know, people can, you know, have the club soda with maybe a splash of cranberry or a side of lime that looks like it's in a glass of vodka and soda. When it just looks like that, nobody questions it. And if and when it comes up and, you know, people are saying, you know, I'm doing this 90-day challenge. I'm, you know, taking out alcohol and I'm feeling amazing. Like I'm sleeping really well and keep it in that real positive. What happens is people say, I'm intrigued. And they start to kind of pull others aside and say, to be honest, I've been thinking about doing the same because I've been a little worried. So instead of, again, perpetuating the stigma, people are actually respecting and their ears are kind of popping up because they're silently worrying about it and they want to do it themselves. Hmm. In my experience, I think if you zero in on being kind on yourself and not being really hard on yourself, that can help a lot, either with drinking or comfort eating or just a variety of your overall wellness. And I've also found in my experience, if you have a really good manager, he or she can play a significant role in getting an employee to be kind to themselves and not always having to have this quest for perfection. And it's okay if you make a mistake, the world's not going to end. Do you agree? And what can what can employers do to encourage their managers to to have that sort of outlook, to help their employees feel more comfortable with themselves and more happy with themselves. Absolutely. So two things with this. Social connection is really, really important to our immune system and to our nervous system. So having people that we feel like they have our back, whether it's a manager, a colleague, a spouse, you know, friends, that does so much. Our nervous systems start to mirror the other nervous system in either the negative way or positive way. So having that manager that you just feel like they've got your back 
and they're mm-hmm. there for you is incredibly important and powerful for your well-being. And setting up, you know, we tend to be very much behind our screens, very isolated, even though we're working in office settings. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever we can do to encourage that social connection, eye-to-eye contact, the kind word, the compliment goes a long way. And then as far as kind of that, you know, being kind to ourselves, what I find with so much of it is tolerating discomfort and building that threshold, building that zone of resilience to just be a little uncomfortable. And and what we do as a culture is we immediately jump out of it. We have a drink. We eat something sweet. We go into work overload. We go into overthinking. And it's learning again how to regulate the nervous system. And the first step with that is for just a couple seconds, can I sit in this discomfort? I am at this, you know, networking event or at this conference where there's a lot of drinking. Just 10 seconds, notice the discomfort and then decide what you want to do next. But start to play with that of building that zone where we can tolerate discomfort. We will be okay. Got it. Got it. So feel your feelings and give yourself time. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's um, because if you tell somebody to feel their feelings and even for myself, it's like, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it's about coming back to the sensation in your body. And literally, it sounds esoteric, but it's not at all. It's very practical. Literally feeling the ground beneath you. We're either standing, you know, our feet are touching the ground, our sits bones are in the chair, our butt is in the chair, or our back is on the ground as we're lying down. And noticing what that sensation is, is whatever part of our body touches the ground. And that can feel like an anchor. And it's not about analyzing feelings. It's about feeling the ground. When we feel anchored, when the body feels solid like that, then the body starts to feel more calm. When the body's calm, the mind is calm. So we've reversed it of thinking it's, you know, we've got to make our mind do something. We actually want to have that experience with our body feeling calm first. Very interesting. And that's about everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And listeners, thank you for joining us as well. If you like what you heard today, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered.